Well, welcome everybody to a quite frigid carnival of randomness. We're in the hazy shade of winter days, and we have Greg along with us wearing a very... My wings are iced up! Iced up! Can't fly! (laughs) (laughs) And he's bringing that. We're very, very happy to... That's the return of, let's try another little bit of tenderness with Count Mike. I can't let it go. I can't <laughs> not, let not, it go. Not going with Count go. Mike. No, not today. Because no. I have to introduce my father-in-law, Rick Eichel. And he's going to talk about a book he's written about the Greater Rochester International Airport. Ah, but there's a different name now. Ah, yes. <laughs> and is, we will talk about that. It is the Frederick Douglass Greater Rochester International Airport. Okay. That's just more words. That's all. That's right. More words. <laughs> Longer line. The only one I will always call uh, Blue Cross the War Memorial. Yeah. It'll always that, be War Memorial to me. Yeah, right. me too. And I call Unity Park Ridge because my dad volunteered there and I'm just so used to it. Park Ridge, yeah. Well, as I remember when they built it. But a little bit, Rick, how did you come about to be involved with it? How did you get the urge to write about it? <laughs> well, um, after a long history of working there, I. Uh, uh, Went straight out of college and uh, worked for United Airlines. Uh, let's see, I went to work for them in 1965 and worked for them for a few years and then uh, had the opportunity to become the assistant airport manager. And um, uh, 16 years after that, became the manager. Uh, people can't see my gray hair, but my children do not take any responsibility for my gray hair. It's all the fact that. <laughs> I was the manager when they built the building that we have now. That's now the one question I want to ask. We jump around a little. Okay, after nine eleven, how did things change at the airport in terms of before and after? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I honestly I can't tell you. Uh, uh, not because I can't tell you, but I wasn't there. Uh, I left there in nineteen ninety three. But the nine uh, eleven probably did not affect Rochester significantly. Uh, the security at, nine, at at Rochester, frankly, is above board. And uh, they didn't have to do a lot to to improve security. It, is, it has changed, no question about it. I mean, there's always a sheriff out there. Oh, there's, you know, there's at least there's, one. Yeah, there's always a sheriff. The uh, screening process has always been a very professional screening process. And um, um, uh, I've always been delighted to, to accommodate them. When did you be in, get inspired to decide, decide like, I want to write, and I want to write about this? Did you just get the creative urge like we all get? I think that happens with a lot of us where there's just something inside that says, I want to create something. And like those of us who can't create, we do podcasts. So, <laughs> <laughs> and we have drummers for sidekicks. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Well, I need a job too. <laughs> I think that... he was here for three months waiting while we were off. <laughs> Everybody needs a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I it, it it unfortunately it's probably a gene that came from my mother and my grandmother. My my mother was a poet with some success, and I saw her struggle over poetry for the young years of my life, and um, kind of caught the gene. I I was pretty lousy in English. Uh, and uh, uh, avoided everything along the lines of, of literature for as long as I could. 
Uh, but the gene was there, and it and it came back. I think I'm well, obviously same. you failed. You wrote a book. <laughs> I think I'm the same. I think I'm the same way. I was actually having one of those talks with a friend, going, "You remember? I hated diagramming sentences or doing poetry. I just couldn't do it." I used to enjoy that actually. I like cool because it was kind of like art to me. You know, I, I like diagramming. I, it's one of the few things I got. In poetry, I'm really bad at because I'm so long-winded. I think you have to just pick the perfect words for poetry. I have the perfect solution for learning a poem. Um, I was I was in boarding school during my high school, and uh, our English teacher would give us a poem to, to learn, and I would write it down, and I would read it and read it and read it, and when just before lights out, I would continue to read it until lights out, and then put it down, and in the morning I would wake up, and I knew it. I just knew it. It rolls around your head while you're sleeping. Yeah. Well, I use yeah. the Babylon 5 method where I tried to sing them all to the Yellow Rose of Texas. Because <laughs> I could not stop for death. Death would stop for me. That's how I would do it. And I think I turned them into songs. There's a lot of songs of poetry, and I could probably remember 100 songs. I've had, some well, least, I've had some bands that they would look at me in the audience when I'm there and go, what's the lyrics to the next thing? Oh. Did that work for Beowulf? Or, uh, mm-hmm. I, don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Take Jack Webb, well, for wanna, instance. Yes. I'm never going to get it out of my head. But you think of something like the alien. Homer was a blind poet. And the way, like, if you read, it's like it's like Monty Python, the bold, manly Achilles. Because he, supposedly when he was doing it, he was talking the whole poem. Can you imagine memorizing all that? Well, there was no television. Can you imagine him saying the same words every time? Probably not. He probably that's why it depends <laughs> on the interpretation yes. and everything. But I always was bad at English too. But I they stuck me in my own reading class when I was like in third grade. That made me really popular in grade school because I had like the reading capacity of like somebody who graduated high school because I would go to the library. But I stunk in English because I just didn't like to be assigned things. I want to read when I want to read. Free man. You we used to free. have to do. We used to have to read books over the summer. They gave us like classic novels to read over the summer and then they give you a test one in September. I used to watch the movies. There was an infamous scandal where some friends and I watched The Red Badge of Courage and we all got A's and everybody who read the book flunked. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. We just proved the system was wrong. Yes. My third year of high school we were supposed to do a uh, book report once a month and I was reading Vanity Fair for three months. So I got zero, zero and and then a lousy mark. (laughs) <laughs> well, you got you, something. Uh, but you, you got up on your pop culture, though. There you go. Yeah. And you were up on uh, your book because now you've got. Well, you've got two behind you right now, right? I do. Yes. I, I've got. Uh, um, there's. I actually have three books. The first one was uh, is a compilation of my mother's poetry that I uh, summarized and and get commented on. That's cool. Uh, the person that was helping me through that when we got finished with that suggested that I would probably want to write uh, uh, about my mother. And I said, no. And and she said, yes. And I said, no. And she said, write the first chapter and then we'll discuss it. And once I wrote the first chapter, I was on the way. Um, So when I got done with that, I promised everybody that I would stop the Freudian kick and I would uh, write something other than about my mother. Yeah, it's been done with Oedipus. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, my third book is... uh, called House with the Heart. Um, it's about the house that I grew up in, which when I was there was 100 years old. And it's about the pioneers that uh, that moved to Western New York 
and uh, uh, built the ho the house and the farm that I grew up on, and uh, um, it's been been a pretty. People have loved it. Uh, the the people that have read it have loved it. I think we have That's so much cool. history to us. I do know, like where I used to live, where my parents lived. It used to be a farm because we had a neighbor, Mrs. Hotto, and she lived to be 100, which was great. But she grew up there, and she would say, when I was a little girl, this over here was farm. We would dig up farm equipment in the garden still, which was awesome. And then I think something had to do with cars because every street around us that was newer there, it was Cadillac Avenue, Kerr Avenue, all these. And my dad would tell me he used to go pheasant hunting down where the mall is. Wow. You know, no, actually, uh, down by uh, Longridge. Oh, yeah. Longridge, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was like, he used to tell me he used to go, he used to go, so there's so much like rich history to be mined there. And I think people just, sometimes we don't appreciate it, but there's so many stories to tell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny, like around the quay, that area, like, uh, like back in the 60s, right? If if you remember, like where the Seneca Towers is now, there was a drive in there. But behind the drive-in was like this swamp. It was like just like this pond with the reeds and the whole. I mean, me and another kid, we went there one time and we we tried to do like a Tom Sawyer thing, and of course I fell off the damn thing and I <laughs> fell in the water and I was all smelly and all that. Well, Mike, you, you had that when, when you were growing up, weren't you? Well, there was nothing behind, was nothing uh, behind in, in North Greece. There was nothing from North Greece Road to uh, Long Pond, and that was uh, that was pretty amazing. We had. Uh, a lot of woods, a lot yeah. of, a lot of, yeah, I think a lot of that got in a like, lot of trouble. Yeah, I, yeah. I spent most of my, my, not my childhood, but my teenage years. Uh, you know, most teenagers look, go behind the door and lock it. I went up in the woods. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a twenty-two rifle. I went up. I took the rifle. I went up in the woods. I don't think I shot it more than about ten times. Uh, but uh, uh, the woods were my place to go. Yep. Yeah, I would do that except instead of a too. rifle, I had dogs. I had uh, an eight-pack Miller ponies. Yeah, that was my. <laughs> oh, I rode those a lot too. Yeah, we all yeah, rode yeah. Those. We all rode those. But in terms of writing, did you self? Were you self-taught in terms of you just do it? Or did you said you were taking some classes? And how was the process when you first started doing your book? In terms of, did it flow? Did you do edits? Did I, <laughs> I, um, when when I write, I I write basically without an outline. I I hated outlines when I was in school. And I just kind of have a general idea that I, of topics that I want to cover, and I sit down and think them out and uh, uh, and start writing. And whatever comes comes, and um, so you do a lot of editing. When yeah, you do it that way. anybody who reads my Facebook post would know how that goes with yeah. the stream of consciousness. Yeah. I took try a little tenderness and made it the inner logic to making peanut butter at the EMP the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark Bradley commented like, "What did you just do?" I go. Just go with it. Just go with it, Mark. Don't, don't think. Yeah. You can't process it in the mind. I think that's the way it goes. I think if you just think too much about something, you're not going to do it. Just do it. Yeah, well. That's how you learn. One yeah. one of the best things that's happened to me is the, uh, I joined a, a writer's group called the uh, LCRW, Lilac City Rochester Writers. And um, they have critiques where you submit papers and they'll all, they'll all read the paper and then come back at you and... and uh, when when they're finished with you, you kind of crawl out of the room and 
and wish you had never taken it to them before, but you learned a lot. <laughs> it's not like that universe in yesterday, the movie where the Beatles didn't exist, but the oh, guy okay. remembers them, so he I, just... I, I can't even watch that. I just, it's too much for that me. That movie is <laughs> too weird for me, too. It doesn't make any sense to me, but that's me. But could you imagine, though? Yeah, I wrote this. I wrote this. <laughs> so how did you first get involved at the airport? Um... Well, did you fly down there and apply? <laughs> no, no. I, I I lived in. I had, I had just moved to Rochester when I started uh, high school or started college. Um, had two years of, of technical college at uh, State University of Farmingdale in aviation, and came back uh, looking for a job and trying to stay out of the army. <laughs> um, and uh, it, actually, my first interview was probably one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done. I uh, uh, was being interviewed by the supervisor at United Airlines, and um, he got all finished with the roughly 30-minute interview, and he said, well, Rick, I think uh, you've got everything we want. Uh, we'd like to have you start. Your salary will be $410 per month. And I said, well, sir, I was really thinking I'd like to have $100 a week. And he stopped, and he... <laughs> leaned back and he went with cocked his eye and said well i suppose we could do that <laughs> but, <laughs> and i and at that moment i realized my flaw i was so focused on a hundred dollars a week that i never it never occurred to me that i was getting more than that and uh he said well I, i'm going to ignore that and uh we're going to hire you, but we're gonna, not going to put you on the ticket counter until you've had a little bit of remedial math. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was deep. That's funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you got by that. I got by that. Um, I, uh, uh, so I worked for United Airlines for seven years with a two-and-a-half-year two interruption for the Air Force. Um, I decided that I would... Uh, uh, prefer to, to uh, sign off four years of my life rather than go two years at Vietnam. And I was lucky. I stayed away from Vietnam. Uh, I was in the medical corps in the Air Force. Um, I, did, I came out of the Air Force with a hardship discharge uh, because my first wife had passed and uh, went back to United. And, I, and what was it, 1973, I was offered an opportunity to become the assistant manager at the airport. Wow. Um, that was uh, that was to me that was beautiful. A fly-by-night job. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I told you there'd be some zingers. Yeah, some zingers. <laughs> so uh, I, I had I was reaching the point where I was I was a little tired of, of smiling at at, uh, at the customers uh, and needed something a little deeper. Uh, so I was very happy to get into the administration of the airport. And I had 16 years with uh, with Sam Cooper, who was the airport manager, and I was assistant. Um, the, the two of us were like, uh, well, we were we worked really well together. Uh, he did not like detail, and I did all the detail stuff. He he would say do, and th then he the next day he would say did it get done, and <laughs> and in the meantime I was supposed to have done all the work that that, that uh, was involved in it. Um, but his his whole philosophy was, when we started, he said we need a new terminal, and he worked toward that for 16 years, and then he got it. Wow! 
So I do not know this. I don't know if you know this. When did our airport start here? We have one of the oldest airports in the United States. Um, it started... <laughs> not in 1800, did it? Otherwise your math would be wrong. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They had the guys they, with the there little There was bikes. not <laughs> much need for an airport in 1800. <laughs> um, the, the airport uh, was purchased... Uh, they purchased the land for the airport in uh, 1918, 1919, I'm sorry, 1919. Um, and uh, they didn't do anything with it until 1928. Um, and there's a whole story that's associated with that. So, and Feel I, free to tell I, it if you well, want or not. Okay, don't. Well, no, I want you to buy the book. <laughs> well, we'll tell some, we'll tell, we'll have some teasers. Well, you can find out how the airport by buying these books. Exactly. <laughs> I'll wait for the movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, at, at, so in in the the Britain Field uh, was the where where the lo- airport is located right now is the same spot that it was located for the entire hundred years, except it's just grown from Scottsville Road all the way over to Brooks Avenue little by little. And uh, uh, it was initially owned by the Britton family who had a stone and gravel quarry nearby. And interestingly, they the Britton family was also involved in real estate, so I'm sure they made a mint off right. of it. <laughs> and um, uh, for the next several years, they the, the, the city did nothing with it at all because they were waiting for the federal government to do something. They got the airport, they got the property. They said, when we are told that the federal government is going to do something, we will then develop it. So there's a whole period of time where there's this argument going on between develop, no, not yet, develop, no, not yet. Well, that's interesting enough how but I'm really looking forward to reading the book eventually by I get to hear the rest of the story. All of you are, too. Yeah. <laughs> so the Scottsville Road portion, right, isn't that more or less like more like private planes now? That is, that is the general aviation side of the airport. Uh, it was initially everything. In yeah. 1953, the airlines moved over to Brooks Avenue. Uh, but, yes, that's, it's the uh, fixed base operators, the flying schools, the clubs. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Unfortunately, the two hangars that are there, two of the three hangars, which were the first two, are in very rough shape and are potentially going to be demolished. Mm. Um, I'm really sad to see that because I, I would love to see at least one of them survive. Yeah. There's, there's a, a big history there, and I, I just love the community to be able to, to, uh, to continue to see that that symbol of, of us. When we yeah, were. I do think it's important to focus on the history of a place in an area and how it's changed, and not just like scoop it up and forget about it. <laughs> how has yeah. it fallen apart? Is it like those barns you see out in the country, like where I'll just all fall, you know, just roofs caved in? It's in, it, uh, it's in, both of them are in very serious disrepair. Um, they were turned over to private enterprise, uh, and private enterprise really couldn't operate and maintain wow. to the satisfaction and I'll hmm. admit to some guild of my own as a when I was airport manager I never thought about the possibility of putting money into it um, but uh, the county um, will will have to if they're going to keep it the county will have to put money into it right at least I mean they should be I mean can they do a historical building kind of 
-hmm. it would be I, I would love to see somebody like the um, uh, uh, what's the the museum Glenn Glenn Curtis Museum down in the Finger Lakes I'd love to see them put uh, an annex in Rochester at the terminal yeah uh, but who knows now, here's, what was, like, what you consider the toughest part of your job, and what was, like, the most fun part of your job during all those years? Like, in terms of, like, what was the toughest duty you had to do in terms of, like, every day or, like, a week or everything? The toughest duty. Or, like, the thing, toughest thing you had to deal with, toughest, like, part of the job? The politics. Always, always. Oh, That's yeah. like, never change. Oh, no, that, it, never, it never changes, uh. Uh, I was firmly avowed to be the professional airport manager, and um, I avoided the p political. And uh, you take a consequence for that. Uh, uh, that's one of the reasons that I left. I, I was uh, not the political choice. And uh, if I was to do it over again, I'd do it exactly the same way I did it the first time. But um, the best part of the job, it was always something new and different. How did the sponsorship things come into play? Like, you know, when you go to the airport, you see Kodak stuff back then, and now you see Frontier. You know, was there a lot of that, like pushing pushing to get certain things in the... Advertising? In the, yeah. <laughs> Advertising was, was, was a, a what what one of the directors for the county said was, was uh, silent money. Right. Uh, because it didn't complain. <laughs> we had we had an advertising agent that uh, was from out of town. He was a professional for airports. He would come into town once a month. Uh, he 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 would sell a dark corner to his grandmother, and he admitted right. it. And uh, my my toughest job with him was to say, Tom, hang on, you can't have that spot. Right. <laughs> and uh, uh, but so the advertising is one of the one of the main sources. They. And and that's and that's part of what makes the job interesting. There are so many different sources and so many contacts, and so many different people that you work with, that that have interesting and different situations. Um, that uh, it's never a dull moment. Yeah. And well, I've had my own from my airport story and flying my worst story. I flew Aeroflot in the Soviet Union. Which was like basically being in an Indiana Jones movie in a 1940. <laughs> and you go up, we're in, we're in Helsinki, it veers, like almost turns over, a light board breaks by the person by, we start swinging. Oh, and then cow. we get down in St. Petersburg, one of my idiot friends, he had granola bars. We're in Russia, okay, this is still the Soviet still, Union. So, so it's still Leningrad. It's St. Petersburg now because of Gorbachev. Yeah, they changed it back. Changed. It's yeah. Leningrad. Yeah. We're back in the USSR. You see. <laughs> so you didn't know how lucky we are, boy. Oh. But we almost weren't because one of my idiot friends, they're checking us, and they were like a little intimidating where they look at you in the papers and just... So one of my friends brought a bunch of granola bars, no problem, right? He wrapped them in tinfoil. Oops. <laughs> we thought he was going to go. He put them in a room. We thought he would not be back. <laughs> but I don't think... But if you've never flown Aeroflot, I, uh, I could probably buy one for like $5 on eBay if you want to try it. <laughs> but... Uh, that was let my me, scares. Let, let me offer a, a, a counter to that. Uh, have you ever considered the possibility of flying somewhere in the cargo pit of an airplane? No. <laughs> well, I almost did. I was I was a load agent uh, loading loading mail on a United Airlines Viscount. The Viscount is a four engine jet jet engine jet propeller engine. Uh, 
and the uh, uh, pits are about four and a half feet high and as wide as the airplane, which isn't wide. And I was loading uh, baggage or, or mail. The person that was putting the mail in got it all there and left. And I was behind the stack of mail packing when all of a sudden the, the uh, cargo door was closed. Oops. <laughs> and it got dark. And I went, uh, I think I'm locked inside. And I'm sure the language is more colorful. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't use it on this program. Like. Yeah. And, and well, I went to the seminary for five years. I don't use much of that language. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. That's Even awesome. then, you were good. <laughs> so, so I'm I'm thinking to myself. Well, let's see. We're flying to Philadelphia. That'll be about eleven thousand feet. It's so there will be oxygen. That's good. <laughs> At eleven thousand feet, it's going to be really, really cold. That's bad. And about that time, I heard the first engine start, and I darn near panicked. Right. At, 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 and I, I got on my back, I pounded with my feet on the, on the ceiling above me, hoping that somebody would hear a different sound. And one of the passengers did. Talked to the fl flight attendant. She went to the captain, and he reluctantly asked that somebody come back and open up the cargo door to see what, what the possibility you know what was going wrong lousy dogs <laughs> <laughs> and when that person opened up the door i was out of it in a flash yeah. <laughs> and uh and he basically he closed the door and went i don't know what happened but it's okay now <laughs> imagine how things would be well i think we left some garbage in there and it's yeah. rattling around yeah. we better open the door so it could get dumped out <laughs> was that were you sworn to secrecy about that <laughs> as long as william shatner wasn't on board you're okay oh i was thinking of that too yeah. i was thinking of that <laughs> well they one of the airlines did have uh, a flight takeoff when uh, uh they had not closed the cargo bin and they left about a trail of luggage about a mile and a half from the airport on the departure path, <laughs> that that wasn't they, they weren't too happy about that. <laughs> Inclement weather stories. I know you have. I had the too. one. My friend that actually worked TS. My friend Mary's worked TSA up there for twenty years now, and I was actually saying we were going to have a guest on from the airport. She wants to hear the episode, and she and she's saying, "Well, I'm working right now. Jet Blue's really late, and I'm waiting." It yeah. <laughs> was a story from yesterday. <laughs> But I'm sure you've met, and I always hear stories at the airport that, like, one of my friends, Tony Mayhem, God rest his soul, he uh, met Andre the, saw Andre the Giant Andre walk the giant, by. Yeah. And actually, I was friend, at that match in 1983. Yeah. I was. Yeah. That was, they sort of ruined it for us because it didn't happen what happened, what they said happened. Yeah, well, Who know. was the fellow that played Tarzan? Ronnie Johnny Wisemiller. Oh, Wise yeah. Well, Sam, uh, Sam Cooper liked to meet. Some of the some of the people that famous people that were going through, and he decided he heard that he was in the airport. He went out and looked for him, and he talked him into doing his his Tarzan, Tarzan call over the PA system in the terminal building. <laughs> there were a lot of very very surprised passengers, and we got a big kick out of it. This was like the time actually. Uh... Chekhov was in town to do like yeah. a convention, and he went to Empire Comics, Walter Koenig, Walter oh, yeah, and, he, yeah. and he's he collect those pogs, right? So Tony goes, well, you know, he goes, can I work the register for a while? He's like, I think you got money if you break it. He does it. I just come in to get my books. I just go nonchalant, like, wait a second, is Chekhov working the register? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what have been some of like the interesting people you met or have gone through there? Elvis. 
Elvis went through. Um, Costello or toward, the other one? <laughs> at the end of his career, um, it was uh, one of his, I think it was his last trip to Rochester. Oh, somebody had to direct him to Tahoe's. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we uh, had a number of presidential uh, visits during the during the various uh, campaigns. That was always interesting. Uh, Probably all the primary people too. I bet. Um, well, I just know from my I was I went to U of R for a while, and Steve Forbes, like him or not, whatever, he's just running in the primary, and he was supposed to speak, and I guess he was like over an hour late because of something. We didn't. We most of the time we didn't know whether they were coming or not, uh, unless it was the president or vice president. Um, I did have an opportunity to uh, spend about a half an hour with Mrs. Carter, uh, one on one. She was she. The plane was late, um, and uh, they gave her a room. and And uh, my boss said, "Go down and entertain her." And we had a wonderful conversation. Um, and uh, when all was said and done, she sent me her picture autographed, and thought that was pretty cool. No, it's cool too cool. when, like these days, especially like when you realize they're people. Yes. Yeah. You know, and they're it's not like these characters. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, there's a story that isn't going to happen. Uh, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, Liberace. Liberace. Yes, yeah. Liberace was there. My daughter uh, was a clown, and uh, she liked to do clowning. And she and her friend came, and. Uh, um, there was uh, there were three people that went through the airport that day. One was uh, Liza Minnelli. Um, one was one of the rock bands, and the third one was Liberace. She she saw from a distance Liza Minnelli, but didn't know who she was. Missed the the rock band entirely, and uh, was invited to come in and observe Liberace while he was in our conference room and as as I took her home she said really of all the people that I had to see and could have seen I had to go and see him <laughs> my dad funny story about that my mom wanted to see him play and my dad was I don't want to go see him he's like a Stooges Spike Jones man yeah. he always called Mike show hillbillies music yeah, always, yeah, thought, yeah. always thought Steve Litvak was some kind of weird degenerate <laughs> show you know one of those guys but he always like my, so he went because of my mom you know you did it yeah sure he loved it yeah. he just had so much fun but yeah. I have to ask did you have the greatest man ever ever at your airport Lawrence Welk yeah. there you go no, I don't think so. He was. We're not worthy. We Sorry, just Jeff. Worthy. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. So we we're not sweet, worthy. We, we Here, here's have... a side note. Do you know? Remember the band that played with Liza Minnelli from here, the Brass Button. Do I know that stuff? No. Yeah, I but was the, in the Brass. They were, the brass buttons. Buttons. Yeah. They, they were the. They were the her backing band right? when they were. Oh, I didn't know that. And Audrey did. You ever see Audrey Hepburn? Because I guess I guess Audrey Hepburn had a friend who lived in Rochester, and she would come to Rochester and visit them sometime. Well, like I like I was telling you, Sam was the get up on his feet and go out and see him. I was the detail guy, so I was pretty much behind my desk. <laughs> I didn't see a lot of these people. No, but you said you were talking before. We always have the best uh, conversations before we do these things. Mm. We had a jazz, there was some jazz musician. We'll just say some jazz musician because uh, we do not know yeah. who played there. There was, uh, when I worked for United, um, there was a particular model of the DC-6 that had, in the back of the airplane, had a bench for the uh, that that uh, was a rounded bench around the end, he and his crew, this the, the this jazz entertainer, and his crew, got out their instruments and played uh, on the flight 
to Rochester. The passengers got off and were just thrilled because they had been entertained for the entire... Like, we go fly somewhere else. Forget about Rochester. Yeah. Let's just keep flying. Why <laughs> don't go down to circling. Finland? Let's just keep circling the globe. Was it Cab Calloway? Was it Cab? Was it? What, what, I don't what, text what Rochester period was this? I don't think it was Cab Calloway. Um, It'd be in the 70s, right? Oh, 70s? It, no, this this would have been uh, uh, the late 60s. Okay. Oh, right. hmm. It was somebody, though, left the time. We could do a movie about it yeah. sometime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> could be, could be. You know, it's like, that would be something cool. But I, the irony of doing this show, too, this week, is, too, is I'm still terrified of flying <laughs> you know it's like one of those i've i know i'm a rational person i know you could probably say there probably been nothing ever like during your time any problems i know commercial flights it's really safe but it's just that thing about being stuck in something or i have no control claustrophobia yeah and it dips a little you know it's just wind pressure and you go okay when they say the worst part's when they have to explain before they start okay now if we go down you have to <laughs> yes right First guy in a flight when I was last time I went out, he was in front of me. He never went before. Somebody explained it. He barfed because he was so scared. Yeah. And then I'm acting all macho, like, "Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing." And don't call me Shirley. Yeah. Inclement weather stories. Yeah. Not here. My, my first... This is Rochester, dude. He's not going to get in here. Well, we we just got finished with a with a what a thirty incher. Yeah. Between the two storms. Um, my first storm after I was the airport manager, uh, we had, it, if, if anything could go wrong, it went wrong. Um, uh, we had an airplane that went off the runway. We had a piece of equipment that went off the runway. Uh, we were closed more than we were open. And the end of the second day, uh, it was starting to clean up. I went home and got supper, came back and wanted to just see how, the, how things were going. And as I came through the gate on the west side, uh, the they uh, the the equipment operators had removed all the snow out away from the building and there was a long furrow of snow uh, all the way the entire length of the of the concourse and I dr I'm driving up next to it and I realized I wanted to get on the other side but I didn't feel like going all the way back so in my Ford I looked at it and saw what I thought was a slightly less um, uh, stack of, of snow and um, turned around and backed up and just put it in gear and rammed it. The next thing I knew, I was airborne. Oh. Well, you were at an airport. So uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and when I landed, I landed, the, the car so slowly settled down until the snow was up to the bottom of my window. Wow. It's nice to know somebody working in an airport. And I take it you, well, you could land a plane. You could land a car as well as a plane. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. At that point, I uh, knew that I was in serious trouble with pretty much everybody on the airport, and, you know, all of the personnel. I picked up the phone and I went, uh, Charlie 5, who's the operating supervisor. This is Charlie 1. Yeah, go ahead, Charlie 1. Uh, uh, Charlie 5, would you swing over to the west ramp, uh, have a little problem over here. <laughs> I see this yellow truck come around the end. It stops, and there's this moment of silence, and, and all of a sudden I hear, Charlie 70, this is Charlie 5. Would you break away from what you're doing, get a rope, and come over to the west? The boss seems to have a problem. <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever seen like that is when I was in Helsinki to fly home. It's Helsinki, it's, it's weather in Finland in January. Yeah. They had these massive flamethrowers to thaw off the runway there. Wow. 
and remember they're, they're dealing with like with worse stuff than we are there the yeah. but I've never seen these things before and I'm thinking imagine how much fun I could have with these <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah let's talk a little bit about the specifics of your book and everything and like the structure and well okay the book uh, title every title the, is the book, good man. the book that I'm that I'm writing and have been researching for the last two years is called the rock journey through the 20th century the story of Rochester's 100 year old airport um I, uh, I figure I, I, I worked through a quarter of that century uh, at the airport, so I knew something about it. And um, uh, what I've tried to do is, is to tell, not in a textual, text-type text way, not a, not, historians don't necessarily think that it's going to be a good book, uh, but I've told the story. Anecdotal uh, sort of thing. Anecdotal yeah. story, uh, the story of how the airport came to be and how it grew and how it benefited the community while it was doing it. And uh, there's a lot of stories in it um, because my, all of my friends said, I want to see stories. I want to know about the Cafe Evian. The, the, I, I want to, to remember the times that I was able to go down the concourses and, and see the airplane off. And uh, so I try to pull in all of that. Along with it is, is the history of what, what happened. And uh, it's a long, good history. This has been a good airport that has served the community well, owned first by the city, and then, as of 1948, owned by the county. And uh, what I'm trying to do is to demonstrate that, that the airport has been a, a, a really uh, significant economic benefit. Is that going to be the cover? This, yeah. Uh, got, if we I've can, we'll take a picture of it and we'll put it up on the show like when we do yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah, love I the cover, too. It looks like... A good, nice retro cover. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this is going to attract some people. That's what it looks like to me, though. It's like 20th century retro would be good. It would make yeah, sense. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, back in that 20th. I, I think it's neat too. I mean, because when you take a trip and you go to like a big city or you know, you realize how our airport is just so nice and it's kind of like it's quick. You get in there, you get your ticket, you got places to hang out. You go to these big airports, man, you got to take shuttles. Oh, if you, you want me to, I won't start enough about it. You know, I felt like I got hassled at Heathrow. I got hassled in Newark horribly. They stuck me in a back room because I forgot. A friend of mine bought me, in Wales when I was over there, bought me beer, and I forgot about it, and they x-rayed it. And they're like, what is this? Because I said, do you anything to declare? And I forgot it was in my... They took me in a back room and interrogated me. Wow. And then I got... I got home. I got to my airport. Welcome home. Yeah. Go ahead. Enjoy. Like your when you're in Heathrow, you do that long like escalator thing where like you're going down. Like you're like, yeah. You know, like That's... where's Tom Hanks here? Does he live at this airport? <laughs> <laughs> my job, my when when we were building the terminal that we have now, I I felt that my job was making sure that the customers could get from their cars to the airplane safely, and and with some sense of comfort of, that they knew the directions right. and I have gotten a lot of compliments on the way we did it so I w I'm pretty comfortable with, with what we did um, I, there is one story about uh, uh, and I'm, I just lost the story there it goes. Well, well, I'll look for it over <laughs> the runners and under here. I, they, they, the clock from Midtown Plaza is down there still now, isn't it? I it's think? not there now. Or is it? it so was. I remember I pictured it in my head. I'm going, wait, we're going to talk. Wait, that's at Midtown Plaza. No, it's torn down. <laughs> it's been taken down. Um, I think they're talking about putting it up in the uh, National uh, Museum of uh, uh, Toys. Yeah. 
And I think this actually has a thing to do. We talk music almost every week on here, Shock and Shocks. We can always talk about music. But I think... When when Rick was in college, he listened to Wins 1010. (laughs) And the Mad Daddy was doing his thing. I loved it. And it was just... Sunday night. Like some guy was just yapping away and I... Pulled it up on YouTube. I said, is it this guy? He goes, that's the guy. It's amazing what you can find. <laughs> I it. love but I, it. But I think part of that, too, we were talking about songwriting last week, and I think you either tell stories or you do universal things you can relate to. And I think people enjoy stories. I mean, some people like the historical aspect of the tech. If you do some technical stuff, they'll like that. But that, but other people are going to be drawn in and thinking, oh, I remember that like when my aunt came to visit. This happened there. Oh, I didn't know this. Sure. And I think that's the appeal. You get drawn in. You can't stop reading. I got my story back. There it is. <laughs> Where was it? Was it under the bike over there? Don't distract me. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> uh, we, the the uh, airport uh, bo- at one time bought a, a lift in order to get up to the lights. And the name of it on the side of it was Hijacker. <laughs> <laughs> we immediately said, that is Agnes. Because yeah. we will never page somebody and say, bring the hijacker. <laughs> the early 70s where everybody was hijacking planes to Cuba. So, yes. <laughs> so, so we, we had to rename some things that, that were a little bit uh, yeah. otherwise uh, uh, not special to the airport. Are there any lost baggage stories that stand out? Or, you know, delayed like that really caused problems. Well, there certainly, you know, a, a a significant storm like we had just this last week, uh, back in the '60s, would have left probably um, about two thousand or three thousand bags sitting on the floor of the terminal building, waiting for people to, waiting for someone to take wow. uh, take the luggage to their home, <clears throat> because the, the the luggage never showed up at the same time as the people. So yeah, that that happened. Uh, they uh, uh, we had somebody who uh, lost their luggage, and it happened. They happened to be transporting drugs, and so they we Whoops. got got somebody. Uh, we had an issue with uh, uh, some. Oh, this is a police versus sheriff story. Uh, the sheriffs worked the inside. The it was in the city, so the police worked the outside. City police. There was a, 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 a body found in the trunk of a car in the parking lot. And, and there was this big argument over the p- city police are saying, yeah, you take care of it. And the sheriff's going, no, 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 it's, it's yeah, in your right. you take care of it. <laughs> I'm not sure who ended up with it. But well, where can I, we, when is this going to be out? Where can, what's all the information? It's been very great having you on, dude. This has been lots of this fun. Is, I'm, I'm fun. glad, my thing was I'm glad. I mean, I flew in from home. My arms are tired. I but uh, but, <laughs> but I'm, uh, how, uh, where, where can we get this? When's it going to be out? I'm uh, hoping, I'm, I'm self I'm self-publishing. I'm hoping publish the book, not yourself. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that I will have it out uh, by the end of March. I'm uh, hoping that I will. I'm working with the county, hopefully, to have a book launching party at the airport, uh, if they'll give me permission, and um, I'll, the word will get out. Uh, um, I'm looking for every opportunity to to have contacts and and have people that are interested in. in and finding out about the book, and uh, it will be available at an, at at least uh, at, at several local stores, as well as on Amazon, of of course. Uh, and I will also have copies myself that I will be 
um, um, selling from from book signings and, and launching parties and things I like that. I think that's the cool, cool. part that's these awesome. days. You can get it out these days, which I think is really nice. Yeah. Well, you've got a website, right? Yeah. I have a website. Uh, it's uh, 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 flyingwithrick at wordpress.com. Uh, although the website is more or less uh, uh, where I uh, uh, deal with my heart, uh, the book is for my head. Uh, so it's a kind of different different uh, stuff that goes in the website. I have a Facebook page, Rick Eichel Author. I-E-K-E-L, folks. Yeah, I-E-K-E-L. Remember that. It's I- And we'll write E-K-E-L. it in the description I-E-K-E-L. of the episode, too, because my writing, my, that's why I had you do the introduction, because I... Well, I, by, by now I should know the name. Yeah, know. right. <laughs> so it's, uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting it out and, and uh, getting people to be able to hear about it. And any opportunity that I have to, to talk about it, I will... I think Gladly. we have a good community in terms of like places you can do that around Rochester too. Sounds so good to me. It's good. And, well, it's going to be fun. But thanks a lot for coming on. It was, yeah, really it was fun. Great. And your really show's fun. always on on Saturdays. Oh, I'm, I'm being so well behaved. You have to see right? advertise once when your when your show's on. Hey, Saturdays at four. <laughs> whole lot of shaking. Whole lot of shaking. Dot net, baby. W-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-